0: This morning's Bible reading comes from Mark 7 verses 1 to 23 the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled that is unwashed the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they have given their hands a ceremonial washing holding to the tradition of the elders when they come from the marketplace they do not eat unless they wash and they observed many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me they worship me in vain their teachings are merely human rules you have let go of the commands of god and are holding on to human traditions and he continued you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of god in order to observe your own traditions for moses said honor your father and mother and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death but you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by doing By going into them rather it is what comes out of a person that defiles them after he left the crowd he entered the house his disciples asked him about this parable are you so dull he asked don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile him for it doesn't go into their heart but into their stomach and then out of the body in saying this Jesus declared all foods clean he went on
1: Thanks, Stephanie. Let's pray and we'll continue looking at this passage. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you that we come in full assurance that this is your word, that you have revealed it to us through your Holy Spirit, uh, through the hand of Mark. And Father God, we pray now that as we open it and we consider What Jesus is rebuking and what Jesus is declaring, we pray that you'll open our eyes and open our hearts, Lord, so that we can worship you rightly. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is Father's Day and I have to say, one of the hardest things about being a parent is the amount of advice advice that everybody wants to give you. If you mention your baby isn't sleeping, which was our case, then prepare yourself. Let him cry it out. Don't ever let him cry it out. Comfort him. Don't comfort him. Uh, if it, it, go, go to him. Don't go to him. Um, give him a pacifier. Pacifiers are of the devil. Uh, it's just absolutely constant. You mention anything about parenting and the advice just comes flooding at you whether or not you like it see everybody whether you know them or not seems to constantly be judging your parenting skills based on the culture the tradition and the time that they were parents now early in 2016 ellie and i and obi zeke wasn't born yet obi was about seven months old we were in sydney for a couple of months and uh when we were living remote one of the things about coming to the big city is you do all your shopping you buy everything it's so exciting uh, but you also see all the specialists you can that you need to see because you don't have them, even things like optometrists we didn't have in Kununurra, they only come once every three months and so this, uh, this time we had to get a scan done on Obi and he was seven months old and uh, it was in a clinic in Penrith and we walked in and it was full, like the, the, the reception area was just chockers with people, anyway we went into the scan, we had the scan done uh, and after the scan uh, we, we knew Obi needed a sleep. Now, we used to have a pram uh, that was, it was wonderful. It, it, it used to lay flat. So we could put him in it and he would fall asleep and then we could lay it flat and he would sleep in the pram. Uh, we'd start at 45 degrees, but we also knew that we couldn't strap him in or he wouldn't sleep. But there was a bar, so he was safe. He was never going to fall out. He was 45 degrees, it's okay. Uh, and he was, he was safe. So after the scan we've put him at 45 degrees, we've walked into the reception area, we've parked the pram, we've put the brakes on uh, and, and we uh, went to the receptionist, finished the paperwork and we left. But just as we started to leave, this, uh, this lady calls out in a very loud voice, meant to be for the person next to her but I'm sure it was for us. Oh no, look at those people, they haven't even strapped their baby into his pram. Now I tell you, (laughs) I don't know how it happened, but I continued walking, I did not turn around, I did not respond and I did not express this anger that just came up inside of me. You know it was the city's fault what are we doing here all those things you see everybody seems to have an opinion about how you parent regardless of what it is where it is or what you're doing well in the same way everybody has an opinion on how you should church and while some of the opinions are based on the bible and based on uh, the the truth a great deal are based on culture and tradition of the time that people grew up in church or became a Christian in church. See, have you ever felt judged like that at church? Chances are you have at some point. It's because we've all come from a context, we've all come from a tradition, a background which has expressed our faith in a certain way how we parent, the clothes we wear, the type of songs we sing, sing. whether there's noise at the beginning of the service or whether we're meant to sit in silence and prepare our hearts for the worship service, whether we say, may the Lord bless you, after we do a Bible reading, Uh, whether there's communion once a month, once every three months, every week, whether our church services have a call to worship, a benediction, an opening prayer, a recite the Lord's Prayer every month. See, in all these things, they are usually started to help people to live out and worship properly. And they are triggered by the word of God. Yet as they are observed and become an integral part of our life as a church, they become a tradition. And the problem is, is they can start taking on an authority of themselves as if they are the word of God. So if things are done differently, people can react as if the very word of God has been rejected. Well, this morning we do come across an encounter between Jesus and the religious elite concerning the observation of the traditions that were integral in the life of God's people during Jesus' time. And the question we have to ask ourselves this morning is have we elevated our traditions to have an authority equal or even greater than the word of God? Well, The passage begins with the religious elite of Israel enforcing their traditions. If you have your Bibles there, please open them. Uh, Chapter 7 verses 1 and 2. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. See, in Jesus' day, if you wanted to know how to live a righteous life, rightly live before God according to his word, then you would go and find a Pharisee. If you wanted an interpretation of the law, well, then you would go and find a Pharisee or a teacher of the law. So these guys were the outward representation of what right living was. And they were the religious elite and they had authority in the institution of Israel's religion. See, Jesus has had interactions with these guys before. They haven't been happy with him. In fact, back in chapter 3, verse 6, after Jesus has just healed someone on the Sabbath, we are told the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. You see, Jesus was known. His teachings were the talk of everyone and so while we are told these Pharisees and teachers of the law come from Jerusalem, we don't exactly know why they came from Jerusalem. I think we've seen enough so far to say that they may have had an ulterior motive. They may have been looking at ways and things that could trip him up and maybe even accuse him towards death. And what do you know? They encounter a problem pretty much immediately. Jesus' disciples did not observe the ceremonial washing before eating. See, so it was one of the hundreds of additional rules that they had put down with good reason, to, with good ideas and intentions in order to help people to live according to God's word, to remain clean and undefiled. Pots, pans, jugs, hands were all washed in a certain way to ensure purity. Now we've just come out of COVID, this is like COVID restrictions on steroids. You thought it was bad every day no matter what you did, you had to wash everything in a certain way. See, they were bound by traditions that were kept them, to help them meant to help them to keep on track. But the problem is these traditions were now seen as part of the law. And they had ta- been taken on as the authority of the law. And so in verse 5, the religious elite challenged Jesus about his disciples not observing them. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? I remember working a temporary job for the census in the city. Uh, It was in Ultimo. It was back in the late 90s. You can do the sums. Um, Now, I'd just become a Christian. I became a Christian in 1997. I gave my life to the Lord, but I felt very—I didn't grow up in church. I felt like I knew nothing. I was very apprehensive of sharing that with anyone, because I didn't know whether I'd be able to answer questions. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't really want the want, want the challenge. But there was another fellow in that workplace, and it became obvious he was a Christian as well. And I was relieved that there was someone else who was leading. A Bible study at lunch always had his Bible on his desk. He annoyed everyone with his incessant judgment and grumblings about everyone's lives. He was obviously a Christian. (laughs) He asked me what church I went to. I told him. He then went on a rant about how I should attend his denominational church as my church didn't really probably understand the Bible. Now, this wasn't a cult. This was a very mainstream denomination that's all over Sydney. He told me I should leave my church. He also told me that I wasn't going to his Bible study and it probably meant that I wasn't really committed to my faith. Now I tell you, as a new Christian, I did everything I could to avoid him from that moment on in the workplace. Instead of fellowship and encouragement, I was entered into avoidance. And I tell you, I even started questioning whether this was really something I want to be a part of. See, behind the religious facade, all he really wanted was for me to confirm and affirm his religious practices. He was effectively setting himself up as the authority, like the Pharisees were in their confrontation with Jesus. See, the religious traditions were being enforced by the religious elite. Well, I have to admit, I enjoy these confrontations in the Bible when Jesus Uh, puts it to those who think they know everything, and even better when he turns the Bible back on them when they're meant to be the authority on the Bible. And and this is exactly what happens in these next verses. He quotes Isaiah from the Old Testament. And from verse 6, Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And I think that last sentence, which he reinforces in the very next verse, he says, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. I think that sums up what his argument here is against the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. See, Jesus is saying they have elevated the traditions equal to God's word. But even more, if there appeared to be a conflict between the traditions and God's word, or well, they seem to uphold the traditions over than keeping God's word. See, this can happen to anything in the church. And I think the one thing today that emphasises this is music. We often judge a song based on when it was written, which is reflected in its style, rather than on whether it has lyrics and melodies that can lead us right into into right worship. See, I understand, and we all understand, we resonate with certain times. It might come as a shock to you, but I love hymns. Why? Because I became a Christian in the Reformed church that only sung hymns and then I went to a Presbyterian church that only sung hymns. Because when I became a Christian, these are the songs that resonated with me. But I also love contemporary songs. I love songs which seem to tap into my heart and and, and move me in a different way. Not because their lyrics are different, just because that's the music I actually grew up on, the type of sound that I grew up on. So I, I, I'm sitting on both fences here, no, or either side of the fence, both sides of the fence. Don't know how that works. So the problem is, though, if we say we should only sing hymns or we should only sing contemporary songs we are elevating our traditions our culture our preferences above what god's word says about worship see rather than asking the question whether it is a psalm or contemporary song we need to ask whether it is leading us into worship in a way that aligns with the bible and for some people one song will kind of be meaningless to them, but for another, it'll have a great impact on their life. See, the, the I don't want to talk about songs too much, but the idea of a song isn't to teach the sermon. Often we think that oh, a song has to be a, a big teaching moment where it has to dot every three-point sermon and have clear Three verses and this, and this chorus which teaches us uh, the, the theology of God's sovereignty. Well, that's not actually what they were written. I think if we look at it that way, then half the Psalms in the Old Testament wouldn't make it in our churches today. See, the, the idea of a song is to prepare our hearts to hear the word of God and to respond to the word of God. Now, yes, they should be biblical and yes, teaching is a big part of them. Do you see there's tradition involved in all this? But it's not just songs, it can be anything. The order of service, the lighting, what we wear, whether or not we use the King James Version of the Bible. For ladies who like wearing pants, you live in a free time. You wouldn't have been able to do that 20 or 30 years ago in church. See, traditions, we have to be careful of them, even if they are trying to help us to worship rightly. Well, the authority of worship does not lie in tradition, but in the word of God, Jesus says. And then he confronts the Pharisees and the teachers of the law with an example of how they were doing this in the wrong way in their own time. See, one of the integral components of God's people, both in that time and our time, is the family unit. And one of the Ten Commandments, I hope you know it, is to honour your father and your mother, Jesus says. Moses said it, he says there in verse 7. And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. See, this was a holistic view. This isn't just saying nice things about your mother and father. This isn't just um, upholding their integrity in your words. This is about providing for them as they age, See, in that community, the idea is they raised you, they gave everything to you, they gave you life, and as they age, you put aside money to prepare to look after them as they go into their, uh, as they cannot look after themselves. It was a very integral part of not just this culture, but other cultures all around the world. It is how God says we are to worship Him by honoring our Father. And our mother, but the traditions of the elders had established a method for that money that was to be put aside, to be given to the temple worship, to be given to the religious elite, and they 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 declared it korban, which we're told here, which means devoted to God. So, on top of the tithes that the tithes that they were meant to give, suddenly they were asked to give more to show they were truly devoted to God. And so instead of having money to honour their father and their mother in a right worship, all the money was going into the church coffers and they weren't able to look after their father and their mother. And Jesus says, uh, Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. See, this is something that had just been built to help people to worship God more with their money. While it might have been okay in its direct and its, its idea in the end it actually stopped people worshipping God according to the word of God. So the danger we walk with the tradition of music is that by insisting that only hymns are sung or you remove songs that can resonate with another generation. But if we do not recognise that other generations worship through hymns, we can also take away their avenue of worship. And so we create this new tradition of only having contemporary songs. And therefore we stop another generation worshipping in their way, in in their traditions and styles. See, tradition we have to be careful of when it inhibits people from worshipping God, and they are always to be reviewed. See, as Jesus exposes the problem with giving authority over tradition, uh, of tradition over the word of God, he then goes on to establish the core problem in all this. And he says, it is the heart. See, back in verse 6, he'd already called the religious elite hypocrites. That is an acting term in the dressing room, or in their normal life, they are who they are. But when they go out onto the stage, they take on the character that they are performing. And he's saying what you're doing is you're taking on this character of religion. You're becoming this religious person on the outside and you're washing and doing all these religious things. But as he says in Matthew, inside you are rotting corpses or you are dead men's bones. See, you're a two-faced person, one behind closed doors and one in the church or one on the outside. That's why when he quotes Isaiah in verse 6, it says, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Now, I'm not saying religion and religious things are bad. What Jesus is saying is that if your heart is not aligned to your expression on the outside, then we have a problem. Because what God desires of us is heart worship. He knows our greatest need is to have our hearts cleansed. He knows this cannot happen by observing religious practices and other methods to renew our hearts. Our hearts are prone to wander. Our hearts—they're prone to reject, ignore, and disobey God. Well, Jesus reinforces this by returning, returning to this misunderstanding of the washing of the cups, and the religious cleaning that is meant to uh, make people clean in God's sight. He—he he says actually. You're accusing my disciples of eating food that is defiled because they haven't gone through all these religious practices. Well, here's the reality. They put it in their mouth, it goes to their stomach and it comes out the other end effectively. You've missed the whole point. See, he says the problem is of what comes out of a person, not what you're putting in. The problem we've got to deal with is our hearts. So in verses 20 to 23, he says this. What comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. See, Paul expounds on this in Romans. He says, there is no one righteous, not even one, no one who understands, no one who seeks God. He's quoting Psalm 14 or 15. Psalm 14, I think. See, the problem is the heart. See, true worship of God is a heart response to God. And while that may outlet itself in traditional ways, That is not the main way of being in right worship. If we are truly to truly worship God, we have to deal with the very problem that is causing the problem, and that is our heart. The problem is our hearts are directed away from God to the things that satisfy the sinful nature, and that true cleansing can only come after God has changed our heart. See, in the very one who's teaching this, And he's in some respects rebuking all people for their traditional religious ways. He's also the one who is resolutely heading to the cross to die as a substitute for you and your heart problem. The one who is willing to take on all your sin and the punishment for it so that your hearts can be renewed can be regenerated, can be circumcised, as Paul puts it. See, circumcision, Paul says, isn't of the flesh, it's of the heart. Why? Because God wants your heart. And the only way that you can give it to him is if he renews it, changes it, regenerates it through the Holy Spirit. When you put your faith In the Lord Jesus Christ, he has enabled your heart to do that, to turn from away from him to towards him. And by pouring out his Holy Spirit into your heart, well, now we can live according to how the law always asked us to. Not without flaw, not without fault, but in a renewal and a change so that what we have on the outside doesn't have to cover up what's on the inside because we can openly declare that we are not perfect. But all praise be to God because he has renewed our hearts, he has enabled us to worship, and we are going to worship him with our heart, soul, mind and strength. How did Jesus sum up all the commandments? To love love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, mind and strength and to love your neighbour as yourself. See, Romans 2, 28 to 29 says, A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. You see, God is not someone to be appeased but to be loved. God is not someone seeking to catch you out, but he is your father. As we walk in the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit to love the one who has enabled us through the circumcision, the renewing of our hearts by the fruit of the spirit. Let us walk in love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and kindness and self-control. And as Paul says straight after that in Galatians 5, against such things there is no law. See, God's plan has always been for us to rightly worship him with all of our life, in our heart, for his glory. And as we worship with our hearts, let us never elevate our traditions to have an authority equal or even greater than the word of God. Let's ensure our traditions are always enabling us to worship him in the way that he desires, and that is with our hearts, and that is with the fullness of unity in the the church. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you have demonstrated your own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. A death which circumcised our hearts, which renewed us, regenerated us, so that we can live out a life which is pleasing to you, not having to cover it up with, with religious practices that don't reflect our hearts, but to reflect our hearts with our religious observances and the way that we worship you, Father God, I pray that we will be a people that is able to love you with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and to love our neighbour as ourselves. Father God, I pray that you will be with each of us and enable us to worship rightly through our hearts for your glory in unity as your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.